Lord willing, we'll be finishing up our study on the book of Ruth in just a uh, just another week, next week we'll be doing that as we finish out uh, Ruth chapter 4 and really look at the final blessing and the uh, conclusion of the story. But tonight is, is kind of the climax of the story of Ruth and I've entitled the lesson tonight, Ruth's Second Redemption. Ruth's Second Redemption. Ruth's first and most important redemption actually took place in chapter number 1 before she ever even got to the land of Israel and to the town of Bethlehem. Because it was in Ruth chapter 1 that we read that Ruth made a profession of faith in the Lord. She made the decision to trust God. And at that point, she was justified and she was redeemed from her sin eternally. Some people wonder, how were people in the Old Testament saved if Jesus Christ had not died, had not been buried, and had not yet rose again? The answer is that they were saved the same way that people in the New Testament are saved. They are saved by grace through faith. Abraham, it is recorded of him in the book of Genesis, that he believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And in Romans chapter 4, Paul uses that as proof that salvation has always been by faith in God's plan, apart from any works of our own. And so Ruth was saved. She was redeemed from her sin in chapter number one. But there was another redemption that Ruth was blessed to experience. And how she came to experience that redemption is really a beautiful illustration of the first redemption that she enjoyed. And I'm referring to, of course, our eternal redemption that God accomplishes through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Ruth's case, in chapter number 4, it was her kinsman, her relative, by the name of Boaz, who fulfilled the requirements of the law and rescued Ruth from poverty and from destitution. His willingness to do for her what she could not do for herself and what others were not willing to do for her is a beautiful picture of what Jesus would accomplish for us with His death, burial, and resurrection for our sin. And as, as wonderful as the story of Ruth's redemption is, is to tell, as, 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 as much as we enjoy telling that, it's not nearly as wonderful as the story of eternal redemption from sin. And if you know Christ as your Savior, if you've been redeemed from your sins, you should gladly tell others what Christ has done for you. Let's begin tonight by reading Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. I'll begin reading. You can follow along there in your Bible. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Oh, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi that is come again out of the country of Moab selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it besides thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi? 
Thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore, the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrathah, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So just to briefly review where we've come in this story, in chapter number 3, we read how Naomi instructed Ruth to go down and visit Boaz on the night that they were having their feast uh, and celebration of the harvest. And she told her to go down, and after the party was over, when Boaz went to go uh, lay down and sleep for the night, that she was to go to him and ask him to marry her. Ask him to fulfill the law of the kinsman redeemer, which we'll review in just a minute. So Ruth does that. And Boaz agrees. He accepts her proposal, even though she didn't have a ring. And he says, but we've got a problem. There is another man who's a closer relative who really has the first right to redeem you. But let me go talk to him. And if he will not redeem you, then I will. I will do all that you ask. And so we come into chapter number four, and we see how this plays out and and how Boaz uh, accomplishes the redemption of Ruth. Notice several truths here. And as we go through this tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Boaz did and the events that occurred this day and draw a lot of parallels to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Because this is really a, a great illustration in Ruth's second redemption of what our eternal redemption looks like. So number one, let's talk about the rapidness of Boaz. Boaz did not waste any time. Immediately the next morning, the day after the harvest celebration and Ruth's proposal, he went into town to take the necessary steps in order to make Ruth his wife. Now I ask you, what motivated Boaz to move so quickly? Did uh, Ruth have a lot of wealth that Boaz stood to gain materially by marrying her? No. She did not have any material wealth to offer him. Now, she was younger than him, and presumably he found her to be attractive. But it wasn't his physical attraction to her that motivated him. 
No, I believe that we must conclude that the thing that motivated Boaz to move so quickly was simply his love for her. He was motivated by his love for Ruth because she had nothing really to offer him. In fact, it was going to cost him a great deal in order to marry her. But to him, it was worth it. He loved her, and that's why he wanted to redeem her. Now, is that not a wonderful illustration from the very beginning here of what Jesus has done for us? We had nothing to offer the Lord Jesus Christ. But because He loved us, He came to redeem us. It's humbling to, to admit that truth. We like to think that when God saved us, He got someone special. But the fact of the matter is, God did not get much when He saved us. And it cost Him a great deal in order to redeem us. The truth is, there is nothing lovely or appealing about us. And this is one of the core facts of the gospel. That God did not love us because we were lovely or because we chose to love Him, but that God took the initiative. We did not initiate the loving relationship with God. He took the initiative. He chose to love us, and He demonstrated that love by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. It was the love of God that caused Him to want to redeem us from our sin. It was not because we had done something great to deserve it, but because God chose to love us. Romans chapter 5, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet for adventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Boaz did not waste any time. The next day, he went out into town and he immediately went to the gate of the city where uh, business was usually transacted. And he saw this relative who was next in line, first in line to redeem property and people in their family. And he sees him in verse number one and calls him out and tells him to come have a seat. In verse number two, he gets together 10 elders of the city. And this was tradition, how they would uh, fulfill a quorum in order to be able to conduct official business. And they kind of had like a, a little impromptu courtroom session right there in the middle of town. And they all sat down. So notice number two now, the responsibility of the kinsmen. So they're sitting around. There's Boaz. There's the other relative. There's the ten men, maybe some other lookers on. And Boaz says to the kinsman in verse number 3, he tells him that Naomi that is coming in out of Moab is selling a piece of land. Now, interesting that this is the first mention of Naomi selling land in the book of Ruth here. Now, we don't exactly know had she already put it up for sale and he was using that uh, in, in his uh, case here or whether or not he was inserting this clause because he understood how the process had to work if you were going to exercise your right of redemption. But however it came to be, he says that she was selling a piece of land 
And uh, he wanted to buy it, but he knew that this other man was first in line. And so he thought he'd seek him out and ask him if he wanted to purchase it. And if he did, fine. If not, then Boaz wanted to buy it for himself. So this was how he opposed, uh, proposed it to him to begin with. And, uh, uh, and the man in verse number four, he responded by saying, sure, I'll redeem it. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to add a little more property to my estate. I've got the funds to do it. Sure, I'll buy the land. Well, then verse number five, Boaz says, all right, great, but here's some fine print. Don't you love the fine print, you know? Sneak that in there. Here's some fine print. Just know that in the day that you, you buy the land, that you're also going to have to marry Ruth. And you're going to have to fulfill the Old Testament law of the kinsman redeemer because she does not have any children. And according to the law, if a wife, if a woman is married, her husband dies and they don't have any children together, the husband's next nearest kin is supposed to marry her and the first child that they have together is supposed to be named after the dead husband, the deceased husband, and he's supposed to be raised up as if he were that man's son. And so there was this, this catch, if you will, that, uh, uh, that uh, went along with buying the property. Now, We'll pause it there for just a moment because what, what Boaz is doing here is really he's laying out the full responsibility of the kinsman redeemer. It was not just, hey, I can get some property at a really good price. No, there was a lot more involved here. That if he was going to do this, then legally he was obligated to do all of it, his entire responsibility. Remember, the kinsman redeemer had three responsibilities. We looked at this previously in our study. According to the Old Testament law, the kinsman redeemer had a responsibility to buy back the land of a relative that had been mortgaged due to property. So there was the buying of land, or doing to poverty rather, buying the land. Secondly, he could buy back a relative that had sold himself into slavery due to poverty. And number three, he had the duty to marry the widow of a relative that had been left without any sons. So those were the three main responsibilities. You can look those up in Leviticus 25 and in Deuteronomy 25. But notice there's a common thread in each of these instances. In each case, the kinsman had a duty to buy and deliver a person or property out of bondage. So deliverance was the common theme here in all of these. God did not want His people to be in bondage he didn't want the land to be in bondage. He didn't want the people to be in bondage. And so God set up this system where those who were sold into slavery or who were impoverished or land that was threatened because of poverty, that they would be delivered from that. And that was a duty, a responsibility that God put on the Israelites. Now we see in this another parallel to the gospel. Because mankind was spiritually impoverished and in bondage to sin and in need of deliverance. But Jesus Christ came to pay the price to deliver us from sin and death. You see the, you see the correlation here? This man would have to buy the land and marry Ruth to deliver her. He had to pay the price in order to redeem and that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews chapter 2, 
says in verses 14 and 15, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's describing us before we're saved. We are in bondage to sin. Now, in order for Jesus to do this, this was, there was a very important step that had to take place in order for our redemption to occur. Jesus had to become our kinsman. In other words, he had to become human. Have you ever wondered why, why did Jesus have to come to earth and live as a human? Why, why was that so important? Well, see... First of all, there was this beautiful picture that Jesus was fulfilling, but more important than that, in order to pay the price for our sin, which, remember, the penalty of sin is death, in order for Jesus to pay that price, He had to become human. He literally became human just so that He could die and pay the price for our sin. Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Philippians 2 and verse number 8, speaking of Jesus, says, "...and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Jesus Christ became our kinsman. He walked this earth... He lived, he breathed, he ate, he slept, he cried, he laughed, just like you and I do. And he did that so that you and I could be redeemed. You see, in the Old Testament, when a person was destitute and could not deliver their, themselves, it was the relative's responsibility to redeem his impoverished kin. And Christ took that same responsibility on Himself to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He became our kinsman so that we might be saved. Let's notice number three, the refusal of the kinsman in verses 6 and 7. Now that Boaz has given the fine print, oh, by the way, if you're going to buy the land, you have to marry Ruth. The kinsman changes his mind. He said in verse number 6, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, it's noteworthy that he was interested in the land, something that would benefit him, but he was not at all interested in Ruth, who had nothing to offer him. He gave us his reason for changing his mind that if he were to marry Ruth, that he would mar his inheritance. That's the phrase that is used. By that, he could have meant a couple of things. He, some have speculated he was already married. And so if he married another woman, that might cause some problems. You can imagine. The traditional teaching of the Jews is this. But it could have been that he had been married before and his wife had passed away, but he had adult children, and if he were to marry Ruth and they had children together, the inheritance that he was planning to give to his 
existing children would then be divvied up further, and so it would be reduced how much they would get, and he, he didn't want to do that. Or it's, it's po- possible that he just simply did not want to have to pay to maintain his own estate and then add on top of that the estate or the land of Naomi and Ruth and take care of Naomi and, Naomi and Ruth. It could have been he just did not want to spend that much money taking care of them. But whatever the exact reason, his refusal was based solely on material grounds. He didn't want to do the part of Redeemer because it would cost him more than he wanted to pay. That's what it boiled down to. He said no. And so there was this interesting thing that happened. They had this custom where uh, in transacting business in order to seal the deal, uh, one party would take off their shoe and give it to the other party. I'm kind of glad we just shake hands today. But this actually is probably rooted in a uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse number 9. It says, it's talking about if a man refused to do the part of the kinsman redeemer, it says, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, so shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. So there was, a, there was a biblical basis for this tradition. So he takes his shoe off and he gives it to Boaz. And that way Boaz could keep that as a little bit of a trophy. But more importantly, uh, he could keep that uh, as, as legal proof that this man had given up his right. If, anybody, if he came back and said, no, I should have been able to buy that land, all he had to do was pull out this guy's Nike and say, nope, here it is. So that's what they did. But let's consider again why this man refused. He said, lest I mar my own inheritance. That's more than I'm willing to pay. I'm not willing to risk that much. I'm not willing to pay that much. Here's the truth. Redemption is not cheap. It was going to cost Boaz a lot of money to buy not only the land, but also to take care of Ruth and Naomi. And when we think about our spiritual redemption... It's not cheap either. In fact, it's so expensive that we could not afford to redeem ourselves. The best that we could offer was not good enough to redeem us from our sin. No one else could redeem us either because everybody has the same debt, the debt of sin. We needed someone with enough spiritual wealth, enough spiritual capital to cover our debts and rescue us from our sin. And that's where Jesus stepped in. Because as the sinless Son of God, He had no sin debt of His own to pay, and He had perfect eternal righteousness to give. He could redeem us. His resources were infinite. There was no danger of diminishing His resources, marring His inheritance if He redeemed us. But the price was still high. Jesus had to give his life and shed his blood to buy our redemption. Redemption is free for you and I, but it was not cheap. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your Father, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
1 Corinthians 6, verse number 19 says, Wherefore glorify God in your body and your spirits, which are God's. Why? Because you are bought with a price, those verses say. That price being the blood of the Lord Jesus. Jesus voluntarily fulfilled the role of the kinsman redeemer. And though it was costly, he willingly paid the price. Notice with me number four now, the redemption by Boaz from verses 9 and 10. After the other relative refused to redeem Ruth, Boaz turned to the elders and he confirms the deal by asking for their affirmation. He appeals to them, you're witnesses, right? You've seen what's happened here. You understand that I'm taking Ruth to myself. I'm exercising my right. He acknowledged that he had purchased the land and that he was taking Ruth to be his wife, that he was fulfilling the duty of the kinsman by redeeming the land and the widow. He also affirms, look at this, in verse number 10. He said, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. In other words, he was affirming his intention to do what God intended to follow God's plan of redemption. Boaz is a wonderful example of what a true redeemer does because a true redeemer delivers according to God's plan. There's a lot of false teaching out there about how to be saved. People who say that to be saved, you've got to join the church and you've got to do these works and you've got to go through these rituals and all of these false ideas about how to be saved. That is not true redemption because it doesn't follow God's plan. God laid out a plan of salvation in eternity past. That plan has never changed. It has always been that salvation would be by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. And through the course of history, that plan unfolded and was explained better and better so that mankind could understand it and appreciate it. But it's always been the same plan. Our, our redemption was not an afterthought by God. There are some people who think that when Adam and Eve sinned, that God, God now had a mess on his hands. He had to figure out how to fix it. And so God came up with the plan of salvation as a reaction to what Adam and Eve did. That's not true. It was not an afterthought. It was not a plan B. It wasn't a band-aid to fix an eternal boo-boo. God had a plan in place from the beginning. Revelation 13.8 says that Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You know, the first mention of God's plan of salvation actually occurs in Genesis chapter 3, the same chapter where the sin of man is recorded. When God said in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee, speaking to the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, the seed of the woman, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That was a prophecy of God's plan of salvation. We find this plan woven throughout the Old Testament. 
from the promises that God made to Abraham and that in him would all the nations of the world be blessed to the promises God made to David that there would always be a king to sit upon his throne, that king being the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, to the prophecy of Isaiah. In, like in Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Who? The Savior that God had planned all along to sin. When Jesus Christ was born on earth, the angels declared, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. And when Jesus was here on this earth, He affirmed that He had come to do the will of the Father, to accomplish God's plan. That plan being to seek and to save that which was lost. And even in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, but thine be done. God, your plan, what you want to happen, that is what I want to do. God had a plan all along. And Jesus followed that plan. And see, Boaz, he didn't manipulate and connive and come up with his own plan to try and redeem Ruth and marry her. He simply followed God's plan of redemption. And listen, if anyone is going to be redeemed, then they must be redeemed according to God's plan of salvation. You cannot come up with your own plan. You cannot come up with your own way. It's either God's plan or you're not redeemed at all. Just as Boaz fulfilled his role as the kinsman redeemer, Jesus fulfilled His role as our Redeemer according to God's plan. Now let's close by noticing the recognition of the witnesses in verses 11 and 12. Boaz appealed to the crowd that was there to affirm that he was exercising his right as the kinsman Redeemer And so all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. And they pronounced a blessing upon Boaz. They said, May this woman that is coming to thy house be like Rachel and Leah. Those were the the, the two mothers of Israel. Uh, And verse number 12, Be like the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar bare unto Judah. In other words, may God give you a whole bunch of kids and grandkids. Now, that actually is a good thing. (laughs) They are a blessing. Children are an heritage of the Lord. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. And so they blessed him and wished the best upon him. Do thou worthily in Ephrata, verse 11, and be famous in Bethlehem. These people were happy. They were excited because they were getting to see God's plan of redemption unfold right before them. It was a wonderful occasion. And they responded by affirming that they saw that what was done, that it was done right, and they gave their blessing upon the marriage of Boaz and Ruth. They witnessed the redemption and they joyfully celebrated it because it was, after all, a momentous occasion. A sad story turned into a happy ending because of redemption. We've come a long way since chapter 1. In chapter 1, Elimelech dies. Malon and Chilion marry Moabite women. Then they die. 
Now Ruth and Naomi and Orpah are left widows. And they have to go back. On the way back, Naomi's encouraging Ruth and Orpah to go back home to Moab. Orpah leaves, but Ruth sticks with Naomi and places her faith in the Lord. We come to chapter 2 and there's grief and there's sorrow and there's sadness and there's, there's poverty. But now we see here in chapter number 4 that things are changing for the better. Why? Because of redemption. Now if you know Christ is your Savior, then you too have witnessed an incredible redemption. And it is truly more wonderful than the redemption that Ruth experienced. Your sad story now has a happy ending. You are saved from your sin and will enjoy heaven for eternity. And you are a witness of your own redemption. That's something to be glad of. That's something to celebrate. That's something to proclaim to others. And here's the truth of it. God has given us the responsibility to be a witness of our own redemption. God has given us the responsibility to be a witness of our own redemption. Jesus said to the disciples in Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. Now the word witness has two meanings. There's a noun and a verb. When we speak of a, when we speak of a witness, that's a person who saw something. To witness something means to see it. But then you can also witness. You can be a witness of what you saw. And that means you share what you see. Someone is called up to a stand in front of a courtroom to tell what they saw. What do we call that person? Witness. A witness shares their testimony. This is what I saw. This is what happened. They don't have to make up a story. They don't have to impress anybody with the story. They don't even have to have all the questions or all the answers to all the questions about the rest of the case. Simply their job to say, here's what I saw. This is what I know. And listen, God wants us to be a witness of our own redemption. We don't have to impress people with fancy speeches about the gospel. We don't have to have all the answers to every possible question they might ask. All we have to do is tell them what we know. Look, I came to the point where I understood I was a sinner. And that because of my sin, I deserve to die and go to hell. And I came to understand that Jesus Christ died for my sins so that I didn't have to, and that He was buried and rose again so that I could have eternal life. And I chose to trust Jesus as my Savior. You know what that is? That's a witness of the gospel. In that simple short form, there you have it. That's the gospel. The word gospel means good news, you know. And there is no better news than the news of redemption through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God calls the redeemed to share that message of redemption so that the lost might too be saved. We should not keep this blessing to ourselves. We ought to share it with others. 
Psalm 107 and verse 2, I pointed it out to you as we were singing earlier tonight. But it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Have you been rescued from the bondage of sin and Satan? Have you been redeemed from the hand of the enemy? If so, say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, the story of Ruth's second redemption here is beautiful. Honestly, it could be turned into the best chick flick ever, you know. It's just got all the elements there. It's a wonderful story. Not only for how it changed Ruth's life, but also because of how it illustrates our eternal redemption. And that story is too good to keep a secret. We are witnesses of our own redemption, and we should gladly tell others what Christ has done for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving us from our sins. And Lord, I pray that we would not be shy about telling other people what you've done for us. It really is a wonderful story. There's no reason for us to be ashamed of it. Lord, I pray that through our story, other people would see how that you want to turn their sad story into a happy ending. That the message of the gospel is what is needed for them to be saved and redeemed from their sins, to be rescued from the bondage, to be given the wealth of heaven. And thank you for sending Jesus to be our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray.